Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut, welcomes you to this broadcast of Shi'ar Jeshub. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be continuing a sermon delivered by my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, from the book of 1 Samuel. The sermon is part of the Heavenly Authority series, and we are currently in the section on David and his wife, Michael. Let's rejoin Pastor Greg. But in chapter 19, Saul continues trying to kill David. And this time it's not just a temporary bout of madness where he picks up a spear. And all he does will lead to the ruination of that youthful, hopeful marriage. We read in verse 1, now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So there's a court decree, there's a royal decree, kill David. Verse 2, so Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning, and stay in a secret place and hide, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Verse 7, Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told all these things to him. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. Jonathan's loyalty warns David, and he tells his father, he gets his father off to the side, and he says, you can't kill innocent blood. David was one that supported Saul. He did what was right. He was loyal to him. And Saul, without reason, looks to kill him. And Saul is moved back. Jonathan temporarily reaches him. And you see the mad Saul start to become again like the young Saul we knew. He goes back and he, it sounds reasonable to him. This Dave is not an enemy to me. He's, he's done what's right. And he swears. He takes an oath by the name of Yahweh. He swears as the Lord lives and God lives, he shall not be killed. And an oath taken in such a way cannot be broken. That should have ended the matter. There should be no more danger to David to come back into the court. You see Jonathan here as the peacemaker. Jonathan as the reconciler. And he accomplishes his mission. David comes back into Saul's presence 
just like before. Verse 8, And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow. And they fled from him. So another great victory. Verse 9, Now the distressing or the evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. As soon as David wins a victory that brings glory to God, that brings deliverance for Israel, that he performs in service to his king, there has not been a change in Saul deep down. And that relaxing of animosity towards David goes away as the unclean spirit from the Lord comes upon him. It's not a permanent change. Saul grabs the spear and a third time we have him trying to kill David. And this time David will flee from Saul's presence and there's no reconciliation. We're right back where we started because of the overflow of Saul's heart, magnified by this crazed spirit in envy and murder. We see, verse 11, that Saul continues on. That unclean spirit becomes one with him. He's always crazed. He's always angry at David. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window when he went and fled and escaped. And you think about the Apostle Paul being lowered down in the basket from the Damascus window. And Michael took an image, an idol, and laid it in the bed and put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messages back to David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. No sympathy whatsoever from Saul. And when the messages had come in, there was the image in the bed, the idols in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. And then Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. There's ingenuity in what Michael does here in sparing her husband's life. And she takes this image, this household idol, and makes a dummy that fools the gods as David escapes. You have to ask yourself, what is this idol doing in Saul's house? Why is there an idol in the court of the king of Israel? And in all these situations, there's always some type of idol around. There's always a little idolatry. This half-hearted belief in Yahweh as God mixed in with belief in these other gods. And isn't that so characteristic of many Christians today, of Christianity, of, of our country? to have belief in the Lord, 
to some degree, and then belief in all these other crazy things to mix it in, to contaminate it. It shows there's a problem when there's an idol standing right there in the king of Israel's house. David escapes. Saul is angry because his enemy has escaped. And he asks the daughter, and she covers up for herself by saying that David basically threatened her. And David fled and he escaped. And what better place to go than the old prophet, the old judge, that old priest Samuel at Ramah. And he lets them know what Saul has done. And they stay together there of like spirit, him and Samuel. They both love their God. I want to skip ahead from this point for a moment and take a look at Michael. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, so we go ahead to chapter 25, in verse 42, David is a fugitive at this point. For a, quite a while, he's been on the run, continually escaping from Saul. And it says in verse 42, So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. Verse 44, But Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Palthai, Palthai, or you'll read it other places, Palthiel, the son of Laish, who was from Galim, that's in Benjamin. The two are separated because of Saul. And obviously David knows about the abomination. The abomination that Saul would take his daughter, David's wife, and give her to another man. And then David takes two wives. And so it starts because David will take many, many, many other wives. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, in verse 2, sons were born to David in Hebron. Uh, you have sons by Ahinoam, Abigail, Mekah. Then you have Adonijah, the son of Haggith. Um, and you have the names of a number of wives that David has taken as his. He is appointed king over Judah. And Saul, at this point in uh, 2 Samuel, Saul is dead. Abda, the commander of the army of Saul, is looking to make a covenant, a contract with David in order to bring in all the other tribes of Israel to also recognize David as king. And since Abner is the commander of what's left of Saul's house, he seeks to make a contract with David, especially since Ishbosheth, who is Saul's son, has not dealt well with Abner. And you read in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. He's going to bring all the tribes to David. And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you. You shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, 
when you come to see my face. So obviously David still cares about her. Very possibly he also wants to settle what was a what was an abomination to, that Saul did to him and correct it. But before he'll even talk about this covenant with Abner for the whole kingdom, he wants Michael brought back to him. And you read in verse um, 14, so David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Pathai, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Bahurim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, go return, and he returned. So you have this terrible situation where this man, who's now her second husband, is running behind her crying, he wants her back. And Abner, the commander, tells him to go, because now she returns to David. And look what they've both been through. You have that hope, that young hope, that young marriage, that first love, that exclusiveness, and it's been broken all because of the circumstances that Saul set into place. I hope you have enjoyed this unique series. I invite you to join us for Sunday service at 10 a.m. at the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. And as always, you can write to us at Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, P.O. Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Join us next time as Pastor Greg Scalzo teaches from God's Holy Word.